everybody, this is Jake Jacobs, New York Update. We missed last week, so we are back with vengeance. You know, there's some stuff going on with Elizabeth Warren that's in the news, and it does affect New York. The great controversy over charter schools is raging right now, and if we're taking kind of like the long view at what's going to happen in this Democratic primary, Biden, Warren, Bernie are kind of holding around 18 to 23 percent range, depending on the poll. Pete Buttigieg has made some inroads. You know, if we have to say right now, it looks like we're headed for a contested convention. They're going to go issue by issue. If, in fact, there is no clear-cut winner after the Democratic primary, right, you're going to have the Iowa caucuses in just like, what, two or three months from now? And then you go to New Hampshire, and then you go to South Carolina, right? The big day is going to be Super Tuesday, because after Super Tuesday, most of the candidates are going to drop out. Super Tuesday includes California now, and, you know, Georgia, and what is it, 16 states? I mean, you know, it's just like the the big day. And whoever survives Super Tuesday can fight on. Everybody else is going to drop away. You know, you might still have Buttigieg. What's going to happen if... There is no clear front runner, right? If we finish all the states, right, and New York votes and Connecticut and New Jersey and everybody votes and they, everybody has their say and there isn't one candidate with more than half of the delegates, what happens is all the delegates head into the Democratic convention. The DNC convention is going to be in Milwaukee in July. That is what's going to determine who the nominee is. And all the people at home who voted might be a little frustrated for the fact that they no longer have any control over the process. If that's the case, and we go to the contested convention, they're going to decide in that building over two or three days who the nominee is. Right? We have seen in 2016, uh, we we saw the resignation of six top officials, including Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Donna Brazil and... Louis Miranda, and so they were caught, you know, and, you know, everybody kind of admitted it. Donna Brazil wrote a book about it. She wrote a book and said, yeah, of course. What you have this year is a lot more people, you know, they got their eyes open, and they're heading into this thing knowing that the establishment Democrats are going to be pulling for Biden, right, because he's going to continue tax breaks for the rich, you know, the neoliberal policies, you know, on education, he's going to continue charter schools, the status quo. I mean, he was the vice president for uh, eight years. You know, he had no desire or appetite to wade into the waters of the charter school debate, of standardized testing. Everything was fine with him. You know, I will say that towards the end of the Obama presidency, Biden did kind of like spearhead this initiative to, to make two-year colleges free. I think that's where Biden's policy may have left off, where Bernie and Warren are saying all public colleges will be, you know, tuition free. We want to cancel debt. Elizabeth Warren says cancel up to $50,000. Bernie says cancel it all. Heading into this convention, it's going to be something spectacular. We haven't had a contested convention since 1952. You know, this was supposedly the reason for superdelegates, because superdelegates can vote against the will of their of the electorate of their district. And this happened in 2016, too. The superdelegates flipped. 
So they changed the rule. After the 2016 election, the Unity Reform Commission was formed inside the DNC. You know, they exposed the issue and they worked on it and, and they said, let's make it more democratic. And they got a whole bunch of reforms through. So superdelegates are no longer allowed to do that, all right? They call that the first ballot. The first ballot is when you and I vote, when everybody votes. That's the first ballot. And so now superdelegates are all pledged. That means whatever their constituents vote for, they have to cast their delegate vote for the winner of the election. But if the candidate, let, you know, let's say Biden comes in with 22%, Bernie comes in with 20%, and Warren comes in with 19%, right? So that's basically a three-way split. Biden won't have enough on his own, so you'll go into a contested convention. And, you know, what will happen is whoever the front runner is, even if it's only by a little bit, will claim, you know, that they're the rightful winner and that it's only a matter of winning over the delegates, you know, the Bernie and Warren delegates. And so what do they have to do? Okay, we'll agree to tuition for all. We'll agree to forgiving debt. We'll agree to Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, like whatever they have to do to win over those delegates, that will be the process. This is how the system is designed. And we need to talk about this and we need to anticipate this and we need to brace for this way ahead of time because in 2016, the convention got a little contentious. There was thousands of protesters outside. It was about between one and 2,000 protesters outside. I was out there. You know, we were holding signs and marching around Philly and, you know, we were basically barricaded out so that we couldn't even come anywhere between two and three blocks from the convention hall. But inside, there were Bernie delegates, and there were some people that uh, spoke about, you know, what happened after. And they had the Hillary camp really, really concerned that they were going to pull a stunt. What some of the Bernie delegates were talking about was that if they're not addressed as a potent force and they're not given the respect due a contingent that has, you know, honestly has 45% of the delegates. That's what Bernie ended up with, which is a lot. It's almost half of the delegates. And, you know, Hillary had a very, very slight lead going into the convention. So, you know, there was even talks that, you know, Bernie was going to, you know, try to pull that thing where, you know, he tries to flip her delegates. And even though he came in with a minority, he didn't end up doing that. You know, what ended up happening is that the Bernie delegates ended up looking for concessions, right? So they want concessions so that the platform improves and they make Hillary a better candidate. And Bernie eventually gave his endorsement to Hillary, but not before she agreed to cave in on college tuition. She went in for a, you know, tuition for all plan that would have basically led to, you know, debt-free college. Um, she also caved in on uh, health centers, uh, you know, community health centers, which was something that Bernie has been championing for years. And, you know, didn't get a lot of attention, but Hillary caved on that. You know, there was also the platform committee, which had negotiations between the Hillary camp and the Bernie camp, and then the other camp, which is basically like the DNC, you know, people. And yes, there was lobbyists in there. Yes, Hillary's delegates were lobbyists. You know, they were working for Madeleine Albright's lobbying firm, international lobbying company that had clients that were fossil fuel clients. But in 2016, what happened was the, the, you know, the delegates all compromised. 
Bernie ended up endorsing Hillary. And, you know, Hillary's platform improved slightly. She wouldn't agree to flush the Democratic Party of Wall Street money, of big donors. Actually, on the environmental end, the environmentalists, the activists, you know, I know Josh Fox was a Bernie delegate, the Gasland guy. They were very, very pleased with what the Hillary delegates conceded. They conceded on a carbon tax you know, which is essentially a ban on fracking and is essentially a huge step forward, you know, for for the Hillary camp. And so that's how it works. What the Bernie camp was originally threatening, uh, we heard, was that when Bill Clinton came out, they were all going to walk out of his speech. And, you know, there were hundreds and hundreds of Bernie delegates there, maybe even thousands of Bernie delegates there. That would have been really embarrassing on live TV. So the people that were trying to hold this whole thing together said, no, 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 let's come to terms. What do we have to do? What do we have to do? And, you know, it was hastily worked out. That's what happened in 2016, right? And remember how messy this was in 2016. At the very beginning, the first day of the convention, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was still the chair of the DNC. She stepped down on the morning of the convention, because Bernie delegates were in there booing and were in there making noise. They were making a ruckus. Uh, and, yeah, so now it's 2020. And so now, you know, we have the same thing happening. You're going to have camps going in there. You're going to have a, a very strong Warren camp. You're going to have a very strong Bernie camp. You're going to have a very strong Biden camp. And we don't know if Buttigieg is going to have delegates. Um, as I understand it, any candidate that gets 15% or more of the vote in a given state, 15% more of the vote of, of a primary or a caucus in a given state is awarded proportional delegates from that state. So you could very easily, you know, and so, you know, Dennis Kucinich years ago, he would get like one or two candidates, you know, uh, uh, delegates. Uh, Ron Paul, you know, these minor guys, you know, they were just like, you know, trailing third and fourth place or whatever, but they but they sometimes ended up with some delegates. And then they would go into the convention and they had a little power because everybody knew that they were going to give up and that their delegates were going to sign on for the major candidate. It was just a matter of what are they going to get out of the deal, right? Do they have a policy that they need the, the main candidate to agree to in order for them to turn over the delegates. And it doesn't have to be all the delegates, right? If Buttigieg goes in there with, you know, two delegates or ten delegates, they might just ignore him. They might not have to give him any attention. Remember, you only need 50% of the delegates plus one, and you win the nomination. And so whoever go, whoever gets into the convention will, you know, be playing this game, uh, I remember when I went to uh, the 2016 convention, there were people handing out buttons. You know, there were people handing out flyers and buttons that were trying to encourage Bernie to do that, you know, nuclear option. And you say, no, I'm not going to turn over my delegates no matter what. I, ne- I want Hillary to turn over her delegates, you know. And, you know, that's a showdown. You know, it, it makes, it. you know, Bernie didn't do it to his credit. It would have made him look bad. You know, I wouldn't agree with it. Some people say it was necessary or whatever. You know, how can you go for a neoliberal? You know, we have our purists and we have our, you know, hard left wingers and then we have our moderates and then we have our practical people and then we have our centrists. We have, you know, we have all different flavors. The Democrats is a very big umbrella. 
if we don't have a front runner that wins more than 50% of the primaries, we're going to have a contested convention. I would say right now, uh, here in November 25th, that there's a very good chance that we're heading to Milwaukee with a contested convention. You know, it could be that one of these candidates takes a really big hit. Maybe there's a news story that comes out. You know, maybe something on Biden, maybe something on Warren, maybe something on Bernie. And it could be that there's just two candidates going in. Or it could be more evenly split like we have now. It could be four candidates. You know, maybe Bloomberg thinks uh, he's going to win, you know, a couple of delegates in some state. And he wants to try and rack up a couple of delegates. You know, these. this is the strategy. These are the games. These are the players. In terms of education, there's a really big story brewing because because Elizabeth Warren, right? And we announced on the show a couple of weeks ago when she announced her very, very strong education platform that she said she wants to get rid of standardized tests, which basically means end the federal mandate. I support that. And she also said that, you know, she agreed with a moratorium on new charter schools and that she wanted to defund them at the federal level. So ever since she's done that, she has drawn the ire of the charter school sector. Who is the charter school sector? Charter schools is a bunch of schools publicly funded, but they're privately managed. They're about 6% of the overall schools in the country. In New York State, they are exactly 6% of the schools in the state. So that really holds. You know, in some states, it's a lot more. In some cities, it's a lot more, right? Like famously... New Orleans is 90% charters. That's the most in the nation. Detroit is 50% charters. Um, Chicago is 20% charters. Philly is 20% charters. That's a lot more, right? New York State is 6%. Maybe New York City is about 10% charters. And so, you know, for years and decades, these charter schools have been opening up little by little, getting in their toehold and then trying to expand Right, trying to open up new branches and trying to op- open up new uh, buildings and new sites and expand their charter networks. And there's been a huge backlash. That's what we report on here. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren, you know, after careful consultation and after being called out many, many, many times for not having a charter plan, delaying her charter plan, finally came out with a very strong anti-charter plan. She basically said, you know, charter schools have got to start playing by the rules, no more federal funding for new charter schools, and so basically only the existing charter schools can exist unless they come up with completely new funding streams from the state level or from, you know, billionaires and philanthropists, which is which is a thing. Which the charter school supporters what they did is they pulled a stunt. Elizabeth Warren was giving a speech. This event was in Atlanta at the Black College Clark Atlanta University. And a bunch of charter school protesters, uh, pro-charter school protesters, started interrupting her speech. They started chanting, and Elizabeth Warren didn't know what to do, right? She was appearing with Ayanna Presley, who has endorsed her, one of, one of the squad who has endorsed her because she was from Massachusetts, and, you know, Elizabeth Warren was her homegirl. And you could hear... Elizabeth Warren on the microphone talking to Ayanna Presley, looking at her and saying, "What are we going to do about this?" Because the chart, the charter, you know, moms. There was a whole bunch of ladies and people that had these T-shirts on that said, 
powerful parent network or something like that. They interrupted her, and Ayanna Presley gets up on the mic, right? A black woman comes to a rescue. She gets up on the mic, and she says, we welcome you here. We want you to tell your story, but we want Elizabeth Warren to tell her story. So we are going to meet with you afterwards. And according to reports, you know, the people calm down, and they listen to Elizabeth Warren, and they even say that they were applauding Elizabeth Warren by the end of her speech, which is interesting. So they went and they, you know, they put on this interruption, and then they got a private special meeting with Elizabeth Warren. Then in the meeting, all right, so I'm going to play a clip from that meeting. Charter schools are public schools. Mm-hmm. They are Okay, so there you could hear their meeting. It was a bunch of people standing around in a circle. And this one guy is named Howard Fuller. He is a pro-charter school guy. And he's insisting charter schools are public schools. The person that videotaped this cut it up into all of these little clips. But you can only hear a couple of very, very short clips where you know Elizabeth Warren is, is talking to these people. And what happened in this meeting is that one of the ladies, the, the pro-charter school protesters, in this private backstage meeting said to her, you sent your, you sent your children to private school, didn't you? Goes, here, it goes right here. You might feel kids because I read that your children went to private school. But we Okay, and so there it is on a loop over and over. I read that your children went to private schools. No, my children went to public schools. Well, these pro-charter people went crazy. They took that clip and they sent it to the right-wing media. They sent it to the Daily Caller. And the Daily Caller has been posting this on Twitter and multiple Trump supporters have been posting this out saying, Elizabeth Warren caught in a lie, caught in a lie. All right, the same person that posted this these these little video clips is the director of school choice at the Reason Foundation and he's also an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and is also vice president of the board at the EF Institute which is the Educational Freedom Institute which they claim is a nonprofit nonpartisan think tank that provides uh, reports for about school choice to students, families, and communities. So basically, this is an education reform guy, right? This is a pro-charter guy. And all of these foundations, the Reason Foundation and the Cato Institute, are all funded by billionaire donations, right? It's all the Walton family and the Gates Foundation and the Bloombergs and the DeVosses and Eli Brode and all of the, the pro-charter, you know, Zuckerberg and Bezos and... Reed Hastings, all of these guys that we talk about all the time. So he posts on Twitter, holy shit, I have Warren on video lying about where she sent her kids to school. He got 24,000 likes on this, and it has been shared by uh, multiple Trump surrogates and that have gotten 60,000 likes, you know, just like lots and lots of traffic. So right now, Warren is under the hot seat. Because she said that her children went to public schools. And the same guy that posted this is a guy by the name of Corey DeAngelis. He is the director of school choice at the Reason Foundation, etc. And he apparently took this video himself. It looks like he took the video himself. Cut it all up into little clips and posted it online and sent it to the Daily Caller. Yeah, this guy is claiming to know that 
Elizabeth Warren put her son in a private school after fifth grade. She has multiple children, and they all went to private school except for one son. So what they're calling a lie, Corey DeAngelis is saying, you lied to a black woman's face right after this event, right over and over. You were caught on camera. This has been reverberating through the right-wing ecosystem. Look, Charlie Kirk is one guy, a Trump surrogate. He's got you know, 5,000 hits. And here's Alex Warren's yearbook photo. So when she said, uh, you know, my children went to public schools, eh, it's technically true. Her children did go to public schools. So I guess she was supposed to say, my children went to public schools except for when my son went to a private school or one or more years that my son went to private schools. It was a fraction of the time. So I'm up in arms because this one guy, Corey DeAngelis, right, he's obviously an ally of these protesters. Well, <laughs> Corey DeAngelis retweeted the Daily Caller. And the Daily Caller, in case you're listening and you don't already know, the Daily Caller has been tied to white supremacists. Multiple times they have been found to be collaborating with, co-writing, retweeting, sharing articles with known white nationalists. And so for a lot of people on the left and the middle, the Daily Caller is prejudiced. They're, they're bad actors. And so this guy sent, this guy Corey DeAngelis sent this straight to Daily Caller. They credited him for uh, coming up with the clip. They're playing it on a loop. The Daily Caller has 17,000 likes on it. And then Corey DeAngelis retweeted it. So he's up in there with the Daily Caller, the white nationalist group, even though he's claiming to be for these black pro-charter school parents. I'm not buying it myself. And then we see, just a day or two later, commondreams.org comes out with an article that points out that the Walton family is behind the protest. They were financially involved in the protesters going to Elizabeth Warren's event and disrupting it and interrupting it and chanting about charter schools. From Julia Conley, the staff writer at Common Dreams, the headline is Billionaire Walton Family Behind Pro-Charter School Protest at Warren Rally. The subheading is the senator spoke with the parents who protested her education plan after the event. One of the uh, leaders of the protest is a woman by the name of Sarah Carpenter. And so these intrepid reporters looked her up and they found that she is executive director of the pro-charter school group Memphis Lift Parent Institute and that they did put a GoFundMe page online to raise money to fly all these people out to this event and they all printed up t-shirts that said powerful parent group or whatever. The problem is the anonymous donors to the GoFundMe. Here there are screenshots from Ryan Grimm. It points out that there are multiple anonymous $1,000 donations to this group. And we know that there are no charter school parents that could afford a $1,000 donation. Ryan Grimm is now the D.C. Bureau Chief at The Intercept. And he's also a Young Turks contributor. He used to be the like senior editor at the Huffington Post. So he points out that, that this woman is head of this group, um, Memphis Lift. And that group is 100% funded by the Walton family of Walmart fame. So is this really 
a grassroots, is this really a parent-led function, right? Uh, you might argue that it's partially, you know, obviously these women are doing this of their own volition, but we don't know. Are they getting paid? In New York, when they have charter school rallies, we found out only later that the parents were paid a stipend to attend these rallies and wear these t-shirts. And we also found out that some parents were pressured into doing it. They were told by Success Academy Charter School, where their children attend, that you have to go to this rally. They canceled school on the day of those rallies up in Albany. And they also brought the children out on buses, too, to pad their numbers. Right, And the children, obviously, are just being dragged along into it. So the group was uh, funded by the Waltons, Sarah Carpenter. You got the anonymous $1,000 donations. And then, according to Ryan Grimm, Carpenter's group, Memphis Lift, is 100% funded by the Walton Foundation. Now, somebody took issue with that because there was like one donation to her group that wasn't the Walton Foundation. But it still was like 99.6% funded by the Walton Foundation. So basically, she's a shill. She's a paid shill. And she was one of the lead organizers on this thing. They disrupted Elizabeth Warren's event because it was awkward. They got her to meet with them after the event, right? Because Ayanna Presley got on the mic and promised them that they could. Then when they got her on in a private meeting, they videotaped her her very, very short answers. They cut them all up into little bits. We haven't seen the full tape. And then they tweeted it out to right-wing media, you know, saying that she lied when it's really just a different way of saying it. She said, my children went to public schools. That is true. One of her children also went to a private school. (laughs) And so we'll see. All right, another criticism of this group is that Elizabeth Warren's policy is that she supports the NAACP's proposal to allow only public school districts to authorize charter schools, would require that charter schools are subject to the same transparency and accountability as public schools, and it was never saying we were going to close charter schools, right? Just the fact that you're not expanding charter schools is not closing charter schools, but that was not enough for Howard Fuller, and so this guy again, is uh, posting, you know, short, short clips of Howard Fuller saying that effectively you're killing or hurting charter schools when you cancel that fund or you're crippling charter schools or whatever when you cancel that fund. Not at all. Elizabeth Warren would be grandfathering in all of these charter networks. And remember, if a charter school is only like elementary grade level, they get to expand into the higher levels as those kids age. And so, Existing charter school networks could conceivably grow and expand and then keep recruiting forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's at least 6% of the nation's schools. So it would prevent them from growing very fast from the federal level. But in Elizabeth Warren's defense, you know, because it's a policy I agree with, that national charter fund, it's called the Charter Grant Program, has... 30% of it historically has gone to complete waste and fraud. 30% of the money have gone to charter schools that either have never opened or quickly closed and failed. Meaning that all of that money, and, and, and that represents about a billion dollars over 10 years, was completely wasted. Elizabeth Warren tweets back, The Walmart heirs make $4 million an hour. A new Walmart associate makes $11 an hour. 
My two-cent wealth tax on families like the Waltons would help level the playing field for working-class families and rebuild the middle class. This is why she believes the Waltons have it in for her. And this is why Elizabeth Warren is taking fire. Elizabeth Warren tweeted on October 21st, quote, We must stop the privatization of public schools. My administration will end federal funding for the expansion of charter schools, ban for-profit charter schools, and ensure existing charter schools are held to the same level of transparency and accountability as public schools. And so they are coming after her. Now, it's interesting that they're coming after her and not Bernie. Bernie makes rallies every night. Bernie has made appearances. How come they haven't gone in and protested Bernie, right? In fact, Bernie's charter school policy is even stronger against charter schools, right? Uh, Bernie has said that, you know, he wants to end all public funding for all charter schools, any charter schools, right, which is a degree stronger. Well, they're not protesting Bernie, maybe because they feel like they can influence Elizabeth Warren and they feel like Bernie's a lost cause. Maybe they feel like the Bernie crowd would be more hostile to them. Maybe they feel like it would backfire. I mean, they really had their way with Elizabeth Warren. They got a meeting, they filmed her, and then they, they cut it all up into little clips, put it online, and then they smeared her. So, you know, it was really, really successful for these uh, charter school protesters. And this story is Cory Booker's Flip Flop Flip, right? And I said that on purpose. Flip Flop Flip means he flip-flopped and then he flipped back, right? So uh, we spoke about Cory Booker here. We are not for him. <laughs> After criticizing charter schools and then months of silence about them, Cory Booker now pens a pro-charter op-ed without responding to the criticisms that charter schools cherry-pick families, they obsess on flawed standardized tests, they weaken unions, and they help billionaires get tax breaks, you know, like for uh, financing con construction and of charter schools and what they call philanthropy, but is really making them a ton of bank. So Booker flip-flopped uh, when he when he started running for president, uh, he realized that he wasn't going to get anywhere with the teachers' unions and parents and students and just basically everybody because his education policy on charter sucks. He is for charter schools. He opened up a ton of them in Newark when he was the mayor, and he accepted tons and tons of money for charter schools from Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook billionaire. He accepted tons and tons of donations to his campaign, and he was actually flown out on, on uh, speaking engagements by Betsy DeVos and her husband. And he came out in those years in favor of charter schools and religious school vouchers. So that's what Cory Booker was up to. When he started running for president, he made some statements that were 180 degrees opposite. He said things like, oh, it's appalling how some states have implemented charter schools, and this is terrible, and oh, I'm shocked, I tell you, right? And then he went quiet, and you know, maybe it was about four or five, maybe six months, he went completely quiet on the whole issue. Now, he wrote an op-ed in favor of charter schools, so it's obvious what's happening is that he is taking the charter school money again, and he knows that he's not going to win for the teachers' unions and the public school porters. So he's just going for it. You might as well get a whole bunch of money, bring it into your campaign, 
because if he suspends his campaign, you are allowed to then use that money on any future campaign, whatever you want to do in life. You know, he can run again in the future. He can run for governor. He could do, you know, other things. So, boo on Cory Booker. Cory Booker's flip, flop, flip. Our next little item is kind of local to New York State. A New York State Senate has a New York State senator by the name of Kevin Parker. And he is a senator down in Brooklyn. And Kevin Parker is a guy that I believe wears a bow tie all the time. Um, He sits on the Rules Committee, which is a very important committee in the New York State Senate, right? Basically, any bill uh, has to first uh, get approved by the Rules Committee. And so Kevin Parker is an influential member on the Rules Committee. So what are the charter school billionaires doing? about this? Well, they're flooding Kevin Parker with tons and tons of money. In 2018, Kevin Parker took $12,000 from a political action committee related to Students First. He took $9,000 from a different political action committee related to Eva Moskowitz, who is the, the CEO of Success Academy Charter Schools, and she also runs a PAC that funds candidates. Kevin Parker also took $10,000 from two PACs that were related to DFER, Democrats for Education Reform, who we speak on this show a lot about. That was the group that the Kochs started working with. Kevin Parker also took $22,000 from Dan Loeb, who is the billionaire Wall Street hedge fund manager who sits on the board of Success Academy Charter School and made racially charged comments saying that the black state senator Andrew Stewart Cousins, a Democrat, was worse than the KKK because she was friends with teacher unions. To make all of this even that much weirder, um, NYSET, who is the New York State United Teachers, the state teachers union, also gave Kevin Parker $4,500. And that is money that comes from dues, the teacher dues. That's my money, right? I pay into why are they giving him money if he's taking so much money from the charters, right? He took in hundreds of thousands of dollars from billionaires, Wall Street, big business, corporations. And does NYSED actually think that giving him $4,500 is going to make a difference? No. it's. I mean, maybe it opens up a line of communication. I, you know, Was that just so they can get a meeting and find out that he's going to vote against you for everything? So, yeah, pretty controversial there. Kevin Parker, I hope that he stops taking money from the charter school billionaires. We really need to focus on improving the public schools, not opening new schools and creating new school systems and chains and networks that compete for resources so that the public schools get less. It's a bad idea. This next story, we might have covered this way back when, but it's getting to be important again. Okay, here at New York Update, we put online the following tweet. It says, Promise made. Then-candidate Letitia James tells Yafed organization, if elected, she will join together with other agencies to look at the yeshivas who deny students a sound basic education. We know she's been busy, but dot, dot, dot. And there, this is going to be a reminder. So we're going to play a video. We've got to 
That little video was taken at a forum. It was taken at an attorney general's forum. I covered it here. I um, I also played the full comments of Letitia James. She promised in that little uh, meeting to Naftali Moster, who was the head of Yafid, the whistleblower group, that your issue is very important. And we are going to work together with the other agencies. And we're going to take a look at that issue if she is elected attorney general. Well, she's been elected attorney general. And we know that she's been, you know, working hard to try and see Trump's tax returns. We know that she actually won a settlement against the Trump Foundation, you know, that closed them down forever and made them and their entire family promise that they can never uh, run a foundation again. Uh, there were also fines, I think uh, a couple of million dollars in fines. Um, so she has been, you know, doing her job. She has been okay. She's been working, working, working. But it's getting to be a while, right? Remember, she was seated in January, and now it's almost the end of the year. So Naftali Moster um, is getting a little anxious. You know, Yafid is a group that is trying to get uh, yeshivas who do not give a, a basic academic uh, education to boys um, in religious yeshivas, you know, hyper, hyper religious schools to try and get them their rightful education. They, they need to get math, English, social studies, health, science, art, physical education, you know, basically the sound all around basic education that all New York State children are entitled to and they are not getting. Uh, he started a lawsuit. It's over three years old. Um, the New York City has slow walked the lawsuit there was, a, there was a separate investigation into Bill de Blasio slow walking that investigation, which itself has been stalled. And then there was another investigation into Richard Carranza, the New York City Chancellor of Education, um, who also has not done enough on that issue. Um, and the New York Post just reported two days ago that both of those investigations were kind of stalled out and that they need to be revived. People want to know why Bill de Blasio slow-walked that investigation. He claims he didn't, but he does have a lot of donors from the ultra-Orthodox community in Brooklyn, and, and he's had a long history going back to his uh, earlier days as a city councilman. Now we're going to talk about student privacy. Um, New York State has a really big controversy going on, but it's totally behind the scenes. The public doesn't know about it. Nobody's really engaged in this. There is a law being proposed to stop private vendors from harvesting student data. Um, it was introduced by Linda Rosenthal in the Assembly, and it was introduced by Shelley Meyer in the State Senate, and it was co-sponsored by Robert Jackson. Of Harlem. The law would prevent these private vendors who deal with schools, right? They might have a software program, or maybe, you know, they have an after school club, or maybe they have some app, right? And they're, they're not allowed to, during school time, um, collect private data from any minor student without parental consent. That's the, the state of the law, and it's not being followed. So, there's a law being proposed. It's uh, 
Senate Bill 6990 and Assembly Bill 8647 to protect students. Now, I've heard that these bills are flawed and that we might want to kind of hang back until this is negotiated in the committee. Uh, right now, these bills are in the Rules Committee, which is that very same committee I spoke about that Kevin Parker sits on. Right, So if he wanted to rule in favor of corporations being able to data mine students, he might try to block this bill. But this bill is currently in the Rules Committee, and I heard that is flawed because it doesn't go far enough. Although Shelley Meyer, who is the head of the Education Committee in the Senate, remember this is in the Rules Committee, it's not in the Education Committee, is a pretty decent legislator and has been listening to stakeholders and has met with... Um, concerned parent group. So hopefully there will be amendments added to this bill or and there will be negotiations. Somebody suggested why not just scrap this bill and amend the existing uh, regulation, uh, which is another way of going about it. But we'll see. Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen, but I am a firm proponent of student privacy. And as a teacher, I can tell parents, you wouldn't be happy if you knew what was going on. Maybe you do know what's going on because you get junk mails at home and you get data mined at home. You know, it's not too different from what's happening there. You know, you sign up for some sweepstakes or something, or you sign up, you know, let's say you're, uh, here's a great example. Um, You know, I've been getting junk mail on my school account Right, which means this is on taxpayer time from Scholastic. You know Scholastic, the big book company, textbook company, curriculum, and you know they have every kind of vendor service and school-related programs and goods and services they offer. Well, Scholastic has had this writing and art competition, and they've had it for so long that they were crowing about how many famous people actually entered and you know their competition and might have won you know they were talking about published authors and, and politicians and then when they were just little kids they entered the scholastic writing and art competition right but i get this email from you know scholastic and i'm like yeah i'm not going to enter my kids in this competition because i clicked on the privacy policy link and it brings you to the privacy policy basically you're signing, you know, you're you're signing these kids up to be data mined, right? It says very very clearly we may share information with third party vendors and we may, you know, share it with private corporations and you know whatever's in our interest. Like screw that. So I didn't enter any of my kids in this damn uh, scholastic contest, and I'm not going to. And if they clean up that privacy policy, if I submit my name, my student's name, some artwork, the student's address, the student's grade, phone number, whatever, I don't want you them keeping that on file. I mean, especially if she doesn't win anything. Oh, then you're just going to be emailing me and the student and the parent and every email you get forever with your junk mail? I mean, that's how these corporations work, and it's a travesty. And so we need to put our foot down. When it comes to the law... There are federal laws that are supposed to protect the students, and they're not doing it. There's a law called FERPA, a Federal Rights Privacy Act, and there's also COPPA, C-O-P-P-A, and neither one of these things are being enforced. They are being violated wholesale on a daily basis. You know, I've gone to school some days, and they say, okay, here's a new program. We want every teacher to sign up, every student in every class, 
you know, you put in a login, you put in your day, you put in your age, you put in your name. No, 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 no. You need parental permission for all of this stuff. And the fact that we don't have it really sucks, right? Some of these kids are minors, right? If you're 16 or over, okay, maybe it's up to the kid. Do I want to do this? Do I not want to? Do I want to ask my parents? But if you're a minor, you don't, you know, you cannot, no. Just, just no. Okay, so. In other news, um, the uh, Bernie Sanders got the first major endorsement by a teachers' union. He was endorsed by the Los Angeles Teachers' Union, UTLA. And they had a very interesting um, process for endorsing. They, they had the most comprehensive member engagement process ever. And there was overwhelming support for Bernie Sanders, and so they endorsed him. At the same time, there was another union. It was a nursing union in California that is a pretty big union, has 15,000 members. And that union um, held internal deliberations, and they actually polled the full membership, right? Every single person, one person, one vote. And what they discovered was that they were kind of split between Bernie and Warren. So what that union did was they endorsed both Bernie and Warren. Uh, Bernie came out ahead, but Warren was in there, and they said, we can't leave her behind. And so that was very interesting. I wouldn't mind uh, seeing some other unions do the same thing, endorsing multiple candidates as viable endorsees. Okay, and finally, our last story for the day is going to be about this a-hole named Stephen Menashe. Now, we covered him two weeks ago on this show. He's that slouch and sleaze burger that has helped uh, Betsy DeVos with her uh, legal wranglings to try and make students that were defrauded pay back tuition even though their debts were dissolved by a court. And so he also helped Stephen Miller, which is the white nationalist who was outed by leaks and AOC has been uh, has been tweeting this out. Uh, Stephen Miller was outed by leaks from a former Breitbart associate, a white nationalist herself, who has turned her life around. And she had these emails, and she posted them all online. She gave them all to the Southern Poverty Law Center. So basically, Stephen Miller is a Trump policy advisor at the highest level, crafting the immigration policy and the family separation policy and more. And he has been outed as a white nationalist that has crazy conspiracy theories about white genocide. And he shares white nationalist literature. And he was bemoaning the fact that they were getting rid of Confederate statues. So Stephen Menashe, this other guy, this lawyer dude, helped Stephen Miller craft the family separation policy specifically. Uh, Stephen Menashe also wrote offensive remarks about women, Muslims, and the LGBT community, and he has never tried a case. Well, he was just confirmed by the Republicans in the Senate to a lifetime federal judgeship on the Second Circuit, which is the level right under the Supreme Court. So pretty awful news. I think he's a dirtbag, and uh, you know I wish that there was at least a couple of Republicans that would have you know put their hand up to stop that process. But that's what happens. the The Republicans remember they exercise the the nuclear option, so they can um, approve and confirm judges with only a simple majority, and that includes Supreme Court judges now, right? With, with like such as Kavanaugh. So uh, that's where we're at. We are in a pickle, and it kind of sucks. But 
Um, that's going to do it for today. That's our show. We will be back Tuesdays at 7. Uh, we hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving. Baby, baby, baby. And keep